Palm Sunday, the surprising king. Now, we have in the past, you know, wave branches and stuff, but actually Luke's story that we're looking at today doesn't have branches in it, which is odd. But I think there's a reason why Luke doesn't include the branches. But they were there, according to Mark and according to John and according to Matthew, because all four gospel writers in the first century recorded this significant event that happened, that, that marks the beginning of what we call the Passion Week and the, the beginning of the last week of Jesus Christ before his death and before his resurrection. And so this is the beginning of, of, of the Easter holiday, the holy week that we Christians celebrate all around the world that, that is, is kind of the magnum opus of our whole experience. It's all built, and we celebrated that in the tank here today. The old person is dead, the new person is alive to life in Jesus Christ. But it begins a week before as Jesus approaches Jerusalem, and what you find in, in, in Luke, as he gets to this point in the story, uh, he's been talking about Jerusalem. He's been, he's, it says in chapter 9, he, he points his, his eyes towards Jerusalem, and then, and then several times he tells his disciples. Now, I don't have this on the screen, but just listen to this, okay? Because I, I want you to, they heard this. They didn't see it, so they just heard it. So, so just imagine you're a disciple, and Jesus tells you this. Jesus took the 12 aside and said to them, Look, we're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he'll be handed over to the Gentiles, he'll be mocked, mistreated, spat on, they will flog him severely and kill him, yet on the third day he will rise again. But the twelve understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what Jesus meant. So this is in the background. Jesus knows exactly what's going to happen. But they're thinking other things. And now as he begins to move towards Jerusalem, he heals a blind man outside the, 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 on the way into Jericho before he heads up the hill into Jerusalem. He heals this blind man who calls him, you know, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, right? And, and then, you know, he heals him, and he, he joy, joyfully follows Jesus. And so they're moving towards Jerusalem. And then and there's this guy in a tree, Luke chapter 19. And he's looking at Jesus, and Jesus looks at him and says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house today. He's like, What? It's a tax collector. Everyone hates Zacchaeus. He's, you know, he's the pariah of the town. He's the, you know, he's he's compromised his faith. And there's Jesus having a party with Zacchaeus. And in the middle of the party, Zacchaeus gets up and you know makes this, this startling you know statement of of you know I'm, I'm I've totally blown it. I'm going to pay everyone back and I'm going to do what's right. And and Jesus is like, guess what? Salvation has come to this house. And then in verse 11 of chapter 19. We're getting closer to the triumphal entry. It says, when the people were listening to these things, Jesus proceeded to tell a parable because he was going to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. And so he tells one of these surprising stories. I'm not going to preach on this surprising story. But basically, a, a, a nobleman went away to a distant country to receive a kingdom. And then he's coming back. And he entrusts you know, money to these servants. And he says, okay, now look after this while I'm gone. Do, you know, promote my interest and I'll come back and I'll, I'll hold you accountable. And it says, as he's going, the people of that country that he was leaving didn't want him to be their king. And they sent a delegation and said, we don't want this guy to be our king. Now, this is lurking in the background of the whole triumphal entry. Understand this story, this surprising story. He comes back and he's like, okay, first slave, what did you do? Why? I took your, 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 your mina 
and it's got 10 more. Okay, great. You know, give this guy responsibility over 10 cities. And the next guy, his, his earned five more. Okay, give him responsibility over five. And then this other slave comes forward and says, guess what? I, I hid your mind. I did nothing with it because I was afraid of you. And he, he punishes that slave. He's like, take the one away from this guy and give it to the guy who has 10. They're like, what are you talking about? He already has 10. He's like, whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have will have nothing left. And then at the end of that parable, this surprising story, he says, but for those enemies of mine who did not want me to be their king, bring them here and slaughter them in front of me. I mean, Jesus, are you really saying that? Whoo! Surprising story. And at that point, we now enter into the triumphal entry story. Jesus is changing lives. He's healing blind people. He's, he's you know, tax collectors can turn and discover him and follow him. I mean, and he, and he tells this story. He's like, you know, what's about to happen isn't what you think's going to happen. But something greater is actually going to happen. And it says in verse 28, where we start here, the triumphal entry. After Jesus said this, this surprising story, he continued on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And he's been saying this all along. You're going to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is all about the cross for Luke. This is not a political adventure. This is for the salvation of all humanity. He's going to Jerusalem. And it says there in verse 29, as he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples, telling them, Go to the village ahead of you. When you enter it, you will find a colt tied there that's never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying the, it? Just say, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent ahead found it exactly as they had been told them. And as they were untying the colt, the owners asked them, Why are you untying that colt? And they said, The Lord needs it. For some reason, Luke mentions five times this issue of untying the cold. He tells them exactly what it's going to be. They go there, and it's exactly the way Jesus tells it. And they're bringing this cold back to Jesus. It's really odd, because if you own that cold, it would be a little weird, but it's like, it's like this was prearranged. Maybe it was. Jesus knows that he needs to fulfill some certain prophecies in order to present himself as the messianic king. Zechariah 9, hundreds of years before, predicted this, this king riding into Jerusalem. And so now he's fulfilling that prophecy. Go find that colt, never been written on, and bring it here. If they ask you, just, you know, this is what you need to say, this is the code words, and, and there it is. And, and then suddenly, we, you know, we find ourselves here. Now, some people have preached Palm Sunday, be like, we need to be like the donkey, you know, and, and, and let Jesus ride on our backs. And that's not really what the text is about. Luke is not in, implying that you and I need to be donkeys, although sometimes we are, right? Let's be honest, right? Um, you know, let's, let's just, you know, there's other words that describe a donkey in the King James that we, I mean, we, we act like sometimes, right? You know what I'm talking about. But he is the Lord of the universe. And everything belongs to him. So in one sense, uh, Jesus is not doing anything inappropriate here. He, he has access to all resources in this world, especially those resources that are entrusted to his servants. Do you get it? You receive that, Mino. And the king's coming back, and he's going to ask you what you did with it. 
That's a surprising story. And here's a guy who has a minor. He's got, he owns a donkey, and, and, he's, and he's like, I need it. And the guy's like, okay, take it for the Lord. He needs it. Uh, he may do that to you sometimes. Just be aware. He might come along and say, you got something that my kingdom needs. And I just hope you can respond like this owner and say, okay, it's the Lord take it and use it. If you, can, if you need it, you use it. But that's really not the, the key point of the story. It says there in uh, verse 33. Uh, there we go. Oh, as they were, oh, so the Lord needs it. Verse 35. Then they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and had Jesus get on it. As he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And so this is the triumphal entry. Maybe not aptly worded because it's not actually that triumphal. Have you ever seen a donkey? We, we were in Israel and they had like little donkey rides and they, they got these huge kind of foam saddles. I don't think Jesus had one of those, but that would have been comfortable and all these you know, foreign tourists would come and ride around. Like It does not look very fun or glorious. It's not like, you know, some, you know, big horse or something or, you know, some nice motorbike that you smooth ride it. Like, it's a donkey. But in the Old Testament, you'll find kings riding on donkeys. Coming in, and, 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 the, and the donkey is a symbol of peace. But maybe, you know, you just need to understand, the Romans had this idea of triumph, of coming into to, you know, a celebrating victory. And I, I just, I've taken a clip. I hope it works, Mickey. Here we go. From the classic movie, Ben-Hur. So you see the, the parade. The crowds. The celebration. Everyone's lined up. Victory is in White horses. Full regalia. And there's, you know, Jesarius, the naval captain who made her saved in the movie. I'm not spoiling the movie for you, sorry about that. You're going to remember this melody after the service. It's going to be embedded in your head. This is the triumph. So this is the Roman idea of military captives, you know, like, you know. But this is the, the gospel one. Let's look at the other one, okay? Sorry, we'll look at the other video here. This is, this is a depiction Jesus of Jesus. Jesus knew he was going to be killed for the sins of mankind, he resolutely took the road to Jerusalem. He sent two of his disciples to bring a donkey. As he rode along, the crowd rejoiced and praised God, proclaiming Jesus as king. Begin shouting. 
Great job, Tech Booth. Way to go. <laughs> you guys nailed it. Do you see the difference? We got this massive army and trumpets and horses and military regalia, full dress, and then a bunch of peasants riding in with branches and lion coats. I mean, it's the total opposite. Alexander the Great came to Jerusalem, and the priests came out, and they welcomed him in, and they let him sacrifice in the temple. It was, it was a, just a violation of everything that is Jewish, but they brought him in because he was this mighty conqueror, and they knew that it was, they were dead. And here we are, a couple hundred years later, and the real king comes in, but it's not quite that parade. It's not like when the Raptors won the you know, NBA championship and all of Toronto lined the streets. I mean, it, it, it's like this very kind of neighborhood party-ish, block party kind of feel to it. In fact, the Romans didn't even notice it because it was just, you know, there are all these pilgrims coming in. Oh, there's a bunch more. They often sang as they entered the, the, the you know, so the, it, was, it, was, it was to most people just another day of pilgrimage of a bunch of Jews coming to do their sacrifices. But for a few people, it was something else. Jesus, the king, was coming to Jerusalem. And it says there in verse 37, as he approached the road leading down from the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. And so I got a picture here of the Mount of Olives. This is, you're sitting on the Mount of Olives. There's a huge graveyard here. There's the valley. There's a few olive trees still down on the bottom. And then see the Dome of the Rock. That's where the temple would have been, that little golden dome there. And, you know, the, the Jews believe that, you know, the, the, the people on this Mount of Olives are going to be the first ones resurrected. So that's why they all want to be buried on the Mount of Olives. It's just like bodies upon bodies upon bodies. It's just like a huge thing. But back in the day, it would have been an olive grove. And there we are moving down into Jerusalem. But no one seems to notice except the crowd of disciples. Let's go back to the verse. Are rejoicing and praising God for all that they had seen. What is it exactly that they had seen? I mean, if you were to read Luke's full account, you would discover that, yes, they, they talked about how they saw in the synagogue in Capernaum, Jesus cast an unclean spirit out of a man. They would talk about Simon's mother-in-law who had a fever, and Jesus gets up and boom, she gets out of bed and, and serves them. He would talk about all the people bringing their sick to Jesus and in him. He would talk about the leper that came to Jesus and says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, I'm willing, be clean. And he touches the guy and boom, he's clean. They would talk about the time they were crowded into that little house. So crowded, Jesus is teaching. All of a sudden, dust starts falling on their head and they look up and suddenly the roof's getting opened up and this guy gets dropped down right in front of Jesus. And he says to him, your sins are forgiven. They're like, What? It's like, just so you know, I've got the authority to do this. Get up, take up your mat and walk. And the guy rolled up his, get up, gets up, rolls up his mat and walks out of the crowded room. They would talk about how the centurion's servant came to them once. And, and it's like, yeah, my servant's sick. And, and, you know, they're like, okay, Jesus, like, oh, let's go. And he's like, no, 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 I'm not worthy to have you come in my home. Just say the word. And Jesus says, wow, what faith. And Jesus said the word. The disciples were all there. And the servant's the centurion servant was healed at that very moment. They would talk about the time they encountered this funeral procession. 
This widow had lost her only son, and Jesus comes up to the funeral pyre. I mean, the, the boy's lying on top of the, of, you, know, of, of, you know, they're carrying him out to be buried. He's like, oh, son, get up. And the guy gets up. They would talk about riding in that ship. And the storm is going to kill them and shatter that boat. And Jesus gets up and says, be still. And it's just quiet. They would talk about that man that no one could control or the chains and, you know, in the, in, you know, in, in the quarries there, cutting himself full of demons. And Jesus coming and casting those demons out into a herd of pigs and they go down the hill and drown. He would talk about that. They would talk about seeing the woman with the hemorrhaging issue for 12 years touch Jesus and be healed immediately. They would talk about Jairus, who was in the crowd, and they, the news came to him and said, your daughter's dead, and, he, and Jesus like, don't, don't worry, just believe. And they go there and into Jairus' house, into the back room, and the little girl gets up, and Jesus heals her. They would talk about the large crowd on the hillside getting hungry and hungry, and Jesus getting a cup, taking those you know, five loaves and two fish and feeding the multitude. They would talk about that man who had a demon that enabled him, that he couldn't speak, and Jesus cast the demon out, and the guy started speaking. He would talk about the little boy that kept throwing himself into the fire, and Jesus comes and casts the demons out of him, and suddenly he's made well. They would talk about the woman who, who walked around for 18 years with this issue in her back and Jesus on the Sabbath heals her and suddenly she's healed. Talk about the guy with the withered hand. That hand had never ever been useful and suddenly Jesus heals it. Boom. It's a working hand. They would talk about the guy with that fluid issue, just swollen and encephalitis, you know, and dropsy they called and Jesus heals him on the Sabbath and suddenly, boom, he's well. They would talk about those ten lepers. Jesus heals, and the one, the Samaritan, comes back and thanks Jesus, and, and not only is healed physically, but finds spiritual healing and faith and new life. They would talk about those blind men that were in the crowd, probably. Maybe they're talking about Zacchaeus. And this is just in Luke's gospel, the stories that he records, praising him, rejoicing for all the mighty works they had seen. There is no king like this, Jesus. Luke wants his reader, Theophilus, who was a Roman official, to know that Jesus does not have this covert political agenda. He has an eternal agenda to bring salvation to everyone, to anyone who would receive it. Tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners, anyone can come and discover the grace of God in Jesus Christ. All mighty works they had seen. And you saw something mighty today. A young man and a young woman who declared God's grace that they discovered. Even in tough times, they found God to be true and Christ to be present. No one can take away your story. Do you understand that? If you've encountered the risen Christ, no one can do anything to take that story away from You've got a real story to tell, a testimony of what God has done in your life. And no one, no matter how politically incorrect your story may be, can take that away from you. It's really true, and it really happens. It happened. And they're talking about this. And then it says there in uh, verse 38, 
Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven. Glory in the highest. And he's according to Psalm 118 there, but and he includes the word there, the king. Blessed is the king who comes in the name. And what is this king's role? He wants to bring peace to heaven. So the parable before this, the nobleman goes away to receive a kingdom and to come back. He said, guess what? I am going to take care of the issue that we have here. The reason that none of you can enter heaven is because you've got this sin issue. But because I will die on the cross for your sins, I will make the way of peace for you. Believe in me. Trust in me. Follow me. Peace in heaven. Glory in the highest. Do you remember Luke chapter 2? The shepherds in the hills, the angels show up. Guess what? You know, Savior's been born to you. City of David, he is Christ the Lord. And then the Sunday, this angelic host is singing, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to men among whom his favor dwells. And here, as we approach the cross, it's, it's opposite. It's like peace in heaven. This king is going to look after our issue for us. He's going to open the door so that we can join him and be with God forever in heaven. This is the triumphal entry. And it says there in verse 39, but some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to shut up, essentially, is what he's saying there. They, they need to stop this, because, of course, maybe some Romans would hear. You know, there, there's a tense situation. The Romans always put extra soldiers in Jerusalem during the feast, because who knows what could happen. There's always some crazy religious fanatics there, you know, zealots or whatever. We still have them today, you know, just the, the extreme fringes of every religious group. They're, they're, you know, they don't really are indicative of, of the core of it. But, you know, there's always those crazies out there. And, and you know, you know like, just be quiet. We don't want to attract undue attention. And Jesus answered him in verse 40, I tell you, if they keep silent, the very stones will cry out. I do feel like there's an agenda to just silence us as followers of Jesus. Just, just don't talk about Jesus. Don't talk about sin. Don't talk about your need to, to believe and to follow and to find forgiveness. Don't talk about those things. Don't talk about the Bible. And don't talk about those narrow, rigid rules that God puts in place for people to suck the joy of life. Don't talk about that stuff. And then we hear all these other messages just pounding at us all week long. And then I just, just hear what Jesus said. You can't silence this. If you don't say something, someone else will. Don't worry. And if, you don't, if they don't say anything, the rocks are going to cry out. This is such a cataclysmic event that, that nothing can stop it. And if nothing can stop this event, nothing is going to stop the nobleman or the king from returning. Jesus is coming back. So we celebrate Easter, but we also celebrate the future Easter, when Jesus returns and he comes as king and he, and he settles accounts and he, and he cleans things up and he rules as king you know, over a millennial kingdom and then, and then rules over an eternity. And we, we look forward to that day. And nothing that's happening today that seems to want to stop what God is doing will stop it. You can have the confidence that your king's plan will succeed even when it feels like the, the whole world is just tilted against you and you're like, how do I climb this steep 
slippery slope. How, how do I get there? And, and then we hear the words of Jesus. It doesn't matter what if I tell them to shut up. The rocks are going to start screaming out because this is God's eternal plan coming to fruition. And Jesus longs to know you and to know me and to know you guys watching online. He, he longs to be in a relationship with you. In Luke's account, he doesn't actually even enter Jerusalem. You kind of get there, and, and then he sort of stops, and he, he weeps over Jerusalem, and he's, he, you know, he's sad. He's like, man, I just wish you guys would get it. I have here a, a, um, a picture. There's Jerusalem in the distance. There's Jesus. He's like, if only you would understand the way to peace. And there are people around you that you work with, people in your school, people in your neighborhood, people you're going to run into at the sports complex or the grocery store that just long for peace and the world isn't providing it. But you know where it comes from. It comes from Jesus. And you have the opportunity this week to point people to the king who came, who looked after our sin issue on the cross, who rose again so that we can have new life and invites us into relationship with him. Jesus looks over Lloydminster and weeps at all the broken homes, all the broken families, all the addictions, all the striving for, for, for meaning outside of God, the accumulation of things and money and, and you know, trying, you know, who knows what. And, and he's just like, I have what you need. If only you would turn to me. If only you would receive it. And the world offers all sorts of petty solutions to the problems. And, and in fact, the, the intelligentsia of our world says, just let us tell you what you need. Just, just sit back and let us tell you how it works. And, and they're failing, but Jesus never fails. We need a king like this. And he comes, and a few get it, and a bunch don't. We'll gather next Sunday, and all across the city and this province's uh, churches will gather, but there'll be thousands around us that won't gather, or they'll gather around the TV, or they'll gather around the table, they'll gather around the bottle, they'll gather around whatever they gather around at Easter that don't believe in Jesus, and they're going to think they got it, but they don't. But maybe you'll have a chance to share that with them. Will you follow this king? God always has the final word. I think there's a, there's, the king will come. He's coming back. He's here. We serve this king. We celebrated the king today as we watched Patrick and Irene go through baptism. And, and I just hope today it's a reminder for you, if you've done this, just like, yeah, that, that, I, I died, and I'm living a new life in Jesus today. Would you follow the king? Would you Represent the king. Would you take what he's given you and, and use it for his purposes? Because he's coming back. But we celebrate the fact that he did what he did. And he's going to do what he's going to do. And we know that he will bring a conclusion to this whole story. That's what Palm Sunday reminds us of. I'm just going to invite the team up. They're going to lead us in a closing song. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'm inviting you to believe in Jesus Christ for the promise of eternal life. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, today is just a day to just realign your heart with the King's interests. Lord, what will you have me to do? Maybe you've got a donkey that can be untied and put to use. I don't, you know what I'm saying symbolically. What, what have you got? The people in your life, the place where you work, nothing is by accident. And maybe you even being here, or you watching online, 
It's not an accident today. God isn't inviting you. He's weeping or he's saying, just come and know me. He wants to be your king. And he is a king that you can trust. He's a king worthy of our praise, worthy of our worship. He will ultimately rule. So, so it's, it's an invitation for us today. Let's follow this king today. Don't be silent. Don't let anyone silence your testimony. Speak up at school. Talk about Jesus. Don't, don't force it, but just don't, don't be embarrassed about it. This is your king. 